Good afternoon, and welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I'm Amelia Gonzalez. As many immigrants, descendants of immigrants, and allies prepare to mobilize for El Gran Paro Americano, Un Día Sin Inmigrante, the Great American Boycott, A Day Without an Immigrant, 2006, we bring you a special program today, Part One of Crossing Borders, that comes to us from Hearing Voices. Crossing Borders is a tale of two countries. In Part One, you'll be hearing from Brown Zim, who has a one-minute vacation, this one from the Lunes de Cerro Festival in Oaxaca. Also, And I Walked with Charles Bowden, which is a border-crossing sound portrait by Anne Hepperman and Cara Oler. Guillermo Gomez Peña imagines maquiladoras of the future, fantasy border factories. And Luis Alberto Urea reads from The Devil's Highway, his book about death in the desert. So stay with us with the special edition of Cover to Cover Open Book, Crossing Borders. You know, some Chicanos in the Southwest like to say that we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. You see, the American Southwest used to be part of Mexico, and the flow of people and goods from north to south and back again is a historical tide that's hard to stem. Next are some lucky ones who survived the dangerous desert journey. This story comes from Chicago's Third Coast Festival. The producers are Ann Hepperman and Kara Oler. It's called And I Walked. They play a game here, but nobody watches from a box seat. The players are called wets by those who hunt them. They cross a hot desert, a dry desert, and they cross with one or two gallons of water. They walk 30, 40, 50, 60 miles in order to score. The goal line here means not six points, but a job. Here are the rules. Get caught, and you go back to Mexico. Make it across, and you get a job in the fields or the back rooms. Don't make it, and you die. Crucé la semana pasada. Sí, caminé tres días, tres noches caminando. Este, íbamos cuatro personas solo caminando por el desierto. How a cold day on the sun. By the end of the day, I only had one gallon of water. I started with two gallons. Un traguito nomás sin mojarse los labios nomás. In the morning, started walking again. Walk all day, and then still walked part of the night. Patrol agents found the body of a man believed to be an illegal immigrant hanging from a tree in the desert. The deaths bring the total number of deaths by crossers in Arizona to 106 for this year. Authorities People have died trying to cross the Mexican border into Arizona. There are no springs or streams and no one lives here. No one. But still they keep coming, day after day, night after night. Some will move only during daylight because they fear snakes. Some refuse to wear hats. And I cannot help but wonder what kind of experiences produce people willing to take on such ground. It's a sign of desperation. They pay better in the U.S. than here. I've just arrived from work and I started at 7 in the morning and then I finished at 6. And they paid me $6 for the whole day. If they could leave this 
fairly good life at their places, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be here. With heat and thirst, the body temperature soars and the brain seems to cook. The flesh feels electric with pain as each cell screams out its complaint. People in such circumstances tear off the clothes in the hope of being cooled. Sometimes the border patrol finds corpses with the mouth stuffed with sand. One incident that I came upon was my eye caught this one bush and I noticed there's some legs. There was someone lying down underneath a, a bush. And I thought whoever it was was deceased, but when I got up on her, it was a female. She was lying down in her stomach, ready to die. You start blistering. A lot of blisters on, on your mouth, around your lips. You start hallucinating and you start thinking, oh, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. But, but you can't think clearly, because it's not, it's not you anymore. You start thinking about death. You start thinking if you're going to heaven or if you're going to hell or... I mean, like, if you're going to die in the desert, then you're not going to be found by anybody and you're going to be eaten by animals. The coyotes wanted to eat me. There are a lot of coyotes. The animals wanted to eat me. There were five, and I was staying still and quiet. And they were approaching me, so I put my bottles around me to scare them off. And I had a lighter that I used to fend them off. And I was by myself. The animals were waiting for me to die. You don't even think. You don't even think. You don't have no, no brain to think about, about anything. Coyotes. A land of coyotes. People going to the United States hoping to find a job and send money to their families back home and what they find is death. They never make it over there and they never make it back home. The desert tonight is an enormous theater full of tracks made by men and women and sometimes children all inching north. They play a game here. We play a game here. It was July 14th. I was sitting in a rowdy Tijuana cafe drinking Kalua with milk and thinking about the French Revolution. That day, 200 years ago, for the first time, Western society exercised its will to imagine other possibilities for the future. And strangely, we are the product of that future. I 
came across an interesting ad. Using global production sharing to make money means being in the right place at the right time. And for a growing number of international companies, now is the time to move operations to San Diego, California, and Tijuana, Mexico. Find out how our unique Maquiladora twin plant program can help make your business more competitive. I suddenly began daydreaming. It's the year 2000 on the U.S.-Mexico border, and a new multinational government has been created. Instead of a president, there is a kind of corporate junta composed by a binational group of technocrats and businessmen from Mexico, the U.S., Taiwan, Japan, Germany, and Hong Kong. Hong Kong, by the way, has been entirely relocated to Baja, 70 miles south of Tijuana. It is now called Baja Kong. San Diego and Tijuana have merged into San Diejuana, the capital of Border Incorporated. Throughout the entire 2,000 miles of borderline, there are maquiladora twin plants daily producing an assortment of useful and useless products such as microcomputer chips, multi-purpose transistors, nostalgic heavy metal t-shirts, robotic toys and home entertainment units that include an audio system, a mini fridge, a microwave and a video telephone. Esta es la voz del futuro binacional. These maquiladoras have names like Sony Funken and Macintosh Rodriguez and Associates. Resembling stark techno-convents, these buildings literally stand on the border between two countries. Each has two entrances, one from the U.S. and one from Mexico. The top executives and the administrative personnel enter from the U.S. And the assembly workers, who are 89% women, enter from the Mexican side. The executives can cross into the assembling space without documents. Yet, the workers have to remain on the Mexican side. Governments of the two neighboring countries are reacting quite differently to the existence of Border Incorporated. Washington officials like the idea very much, but they're obviously nervous about their limited partnership with their multiracial colleagues. The Mexican government is going bananas. I woke up sweating. I was the last one in the cafe. I realized that I had drank too much. I paid my bill and began to walk toward the border checkpoint. On my way, I realized I had forgotten my wallet in the cafe. With my precious resident alien card. Damn it. I won't be able to cross the border, I thought. So, I decided to continue celebrating the anniversary of the French Revolution in the tropical bars of East Tijuana. Guillermo Gomez Peña, imagining maquiladoras of the future, 
And this is Luis Alberto Urrea reading to an audience in Santa Fe from his book, The Devil's Highway. There was a boy from Guadalajara named Jesus Lopez Ramos who had come to Nogales, Sonora, across from Arizona to work in a brickyard and he got recruited to be a coyote. The lowest rung of the coyote world now is the guías, the guides, and he was hired as a guide. And he was leading these fellows into the United States. There's a pass they get to called Bluebird Pass where they can turn out of the mountains and head straight into Ajo, Arizona. When they got to Bluebird Pass, somebody illuminated them with spotlights and they ran. And they went one small mountain range over. So when they resumed their walk north, the next pass wasn't there. And the final pass wasn't there. The leader, Jesus, trying to keep control of this group, most of whom were older than he was, started to panic. And they were in the dark. They didn't have any orienteering skills, no maps, just what he knew to walk. So he started trying to make up the path as he went. One thing that the sign cutters in the Border Patrol taught me about tracking is that if you go a certain direction as you walk, you tend to repeat that direction always. In other words, if you meet a barrier and you turn to the left, you will continue turning to the left around every barrier, small or large. He kept turning to the left and his path kept veering until he ended up going dead south again and walked them almost all the way back to the border. When the sun came up, they realized they were in serious trouble because it came up on the wrong side of their faces. They tried to walk again when a heat wave hit them. And they had lost all their water and they slowly died. At some point, Jesus Lopez Ramos did what many of our young enterprising coyotes do, which is collected everybody's money and said, I'm going to go get help for you. Just wait here. And he left and he never went back. He says, no, really, I really wanted to save them. No one knows. He went into a coma, never made it either to Interstate 8 or to their water. And as he was lying unconscious, these men began to die. The book is dedicated to the dead. And I just wanted to say before I read this that I believe that they are here with you. Rudy Anaya once told me that writing is a ritual through which spirits find their way home. So, if you feel a breeze or hear a whisper, they're here because they've been lied about and they've been disrespected and forgotten. So I wanted to read to you about them. They walked. They walked. They walked. There was no other story. They walked. They said choya cactus looked like trees covered in spike balls. The group started to break apart as the demons and angels started to sing to them. They could smell their own stench. It was embarrassing. It was frightening. Naum Landa Ortiz. We kept walking. We were walking all day in that king desert, going under little trees. That's where they started dying, you know, when they got under the trees. Men stumbled away toward illusions in the brutal light. Men thought they were home, walking in their front doors, hugging their wives, making love. Still, they walked. Men were swimming. Men were killing the coyote. Men were on the beach, collecting shells and watching their children splash. And they walked. A voice was heard in the light shatter, saying, He's going to die. Lay him down here. Keep walking. The desert, out of focus and suddenly terribly sharp, burst white and yellow in their eyes. It tilted. 
elongated. It was at an impossible angle. It tipped up toward the sun. And if they didn't crawl, they would slide right off the earth forever. It made noise. There were engines beneath the desert. It made evil grinding noises, mechanical humming. No, it was insectile. The screech of hunger and derision. The devils were under the rocks, spitting insults. I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. No, it did not laugh. It was silent as a graveyard. Just the crunch and slide, crunch and slide. Endless, hopeless footsteps, hundreds of footsteps. Crunch, slide, gasping. That was the sound. Gasping, sobbing, heartbeats. Cante no llores. The ragged breathing of those walking beside them made the men cringe. O oh God, in thy dwelling place, hear our pleas. Hearts drumming, soft hammers inside them, dull, fuzzy, banging faster and faster. Blessed Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. Wings above them, blue men, white teeth. Nothing, empty nothing, empty bones, empty heat, nothing but sun, empty nothing. By two o'clock it was 108 degrees. They walked. Naum Landa Ortiz. I didn't watch the first one die. Two died apart from me. They were behind. I, I didn't see them die. Francisco Morales said, we started throwing things away. We were going to die. We threw away things in our pockets out of despair. Edgar Martinez, who didn't have a phone at home, who had to be reached if anyone called through a phone book in Cuauhtepec. His middle name, Adrián, nephew of José Isidro Colorado, in love with Claudia Reyes, son of Eugenio, stumbled. He righted himself and put out a hand and fell into a bush. He got to his knees, grimaced as if smiling. Perhaps he was ashamed to be falling. He was 16 years old. He fell again. He closed his eyes. He didn't rise. He lay there for the length of the next day, lost in a delirium no one can ever imagine, burning and burning. Francisco Morales, I do not know who was dying or how many because I too was dying. Jose de Jesus Rodriguez. That day, three in the afternoon, I was dead. What, what time is it right now? It's four o'clock? Yep, I died. I was dead from three o'clock to four o'clock. Then I came back from the dead at 11 o'clock. When we got sick, Jose Bautista said, there was no shade, so I crawled up to hide in the rocks. One of the boys went crazy and started jumping up and down. He started screaming, Mama! Mama, I don't want to die. He ran up to a big cactus and started smashing his face against it. I don't know what his name was. The tracks of the dead could be haunting. Raimundo Bareda Jr. collapsed in his father's arms. He was 15 years old. Raimundo Sr. held him as he died, shook him cried over him. He called for help, but the only thing that might have helped his son was water. When Raimundo died and slid out of his father's arms, his father lurched away into the desert, away from the trees, crying out in despair. 
Some of the men said he took American money he had saved for the trip and tore it into small bits. Julian Ambrose Malaga was also said to have torn up his money. His brother-in-law, Rafael Temich, after being prodded by Julian to walk on and save himself, was helpless to save him. That's when he took out the money and started tearing it apart, and he ran off alone, and I was demented. I couldn't help him. I couldn't carry him. Then he threw himself into the light, and he stayed there. Nobody knows the name of the man who took off all his clothes. It was madness, surely. He removed his slacks, folded them, and put them on the ground. Then he took off his underwear, laid it neatly on the pants. He removed his shirt and his undershirt and squared them away with the pants as if he didn't want to leave a mess. His shoes had the socks tucked inside them, and they were placed on his clothes to keep them from blowing away. He lay on his back and stared into the sun until he died. When the border patrol agents found him, one of them said, this poor guy just crossed his ankles and died. Naum Landa's testimony reads like poetry. We were in the trees trying to hide from the sun and they would yell to me, there's a guy dead over here. There must have been 20 of us dead. By Monday, we were all dead. I was hiding under that tree. Out there, I saw people in despair. I saw them without water. I don't know why I survived. Maybe it's a miracle. Some of them just died of desperation. Some of them went insane. Some of them lost their minds. You could hear them screaming. Some fell all alone. I heard one guy screaming during the pinche migra, come and get me. Stupid things like that. He was desperate. He started singing. We were drinking urine. We were ripping open cactus. The dead bodies, dense and dark, were zipped into bags and delivered to the loading docks. They were shipped to Tucson because in Tucson the medical examiners had their labs. The Mexican consul joined them. Fourteen dead men on the long drive through the desert. They took up a lot of room. They weighed a lot. They could be set on vertical racks like big loaves of bread since they were dead. Still, it took more than one vehicle to move them. What a lot of bother. This kind of fuss didn't sit well with working men from Veracruz. They didn't like handouts from anybody. And they would have walked to Tucson and back to the border if they could have. This flashing of lights, this slamming of doors, driving in convoys, it was unseemly. The vehicles were cool, especially after the terrible days in the sun. The ride was smooth, speedy. The procession of vehicles sped out of Yuma, headed east, out through the mountains and down through the Mohawk Valley. They passed under the silent Welton Migra station. Distant Migra helicopters and small planes flew search patterns like small black birds. It was relaxed. They got to lie on their backs the whole way. No sun hit them. The insides of the bags were fairly pleasant since there were no major bloody wounds to make them slick or sticky. The smell was already nasty. 
but the heavy rubber kept it from escaping and being humiliating. You see, Mexicans can't bear to be embarrassed by smells that may emanate from their bodies. These men had been impeccable in their grooming as humble men from the interior almost always are. They went through the small barrier of the ABC mountains and they skirted the northern edge of the Barry Goldwater bombing range. They went along Interstate 8 as if in a dream, one of those strange flying dreams, silent and cold. They skirted the north end of the granite mountains where they died. The cost of using vehicles, drivers, crews, gasoline was more than they would have earned in a month. But there was no worry now, just rest. Down into Tucson, down the ramp into the coroner's building, down the cement walkways, into cold rooms. Raimundo Barreda Sr. would likely have preferred to have been in the same bag as his boy, but they were kept apart. Raimundo Jr. was lost, alone and small, inside the bag. He was almost swimming in all that black rubber, sliding around as they drove and then lying on the icy metal table. They could have torn the rubber and held hands, I suppose, but they were resigned to their fate. Heriberto Baldillo's cactus punctures didn't hurt. Lorenzo Ortiz Hernandez wore brown pants. Reino Bartolo wore green socks to match his green pants. Mario Fernandez Castillo had his favorite silver rooster belt buckle. Enrique Landero's teeth were broken, but they no longer hurt him. Julian Malaga Ambro still had his colored piece of paper in a pocket that nobody would ever read. Claudio Alejandro Marin had a small mirror in his pocket, and if he could have, he would have checked his hair one last time. Arnulfo Badia had a letter in his pocket. He had carried it through the entire ordeal, now unread forever. They had had to call the phone booth in Cuauhtepec and hope somebody who knew Edgar Martinez would answer. Abraham Morales took the long truck drive with no name. He would lie in a drawer for a month waiting for somebody to recognize him. Efrain Manzano loved a girl named Maria and her name was inked into the skin on his arm. And Lauro? Road, forlorn and anonymous, forever lost. No one would ever figure out his name and after a futile search for next of kin, he would go into the soil of the potter's field in Tucson, nameless, there to lie, forgotten. They were close after what they'd been through. For a brief time, they were all together. It was a silent reunion. They lay in a row, almost touching. The dead men were loose now, their feet bobbled when the carts bumped into each other as they were lined up, like they were tapping their feet or waking up. Most of their eyes were open. Small sounds escaped from a couple of the bodies as gases moved through them, almost sighs rustling in the bags. If you listened, you could hear them whispering, we're going home. Luis Alberto Urrea from his book, The Devil's Highway. The music was by Mexican composers Jorge Reyes and Tito Larriva.
one-minute vacation field recordings you heard come from quietamerican.org. There's links to works by all the storytellers in this hour at hearingvoices.com. I'm Marcos Martinez of KUNM Radio in Albuquerque. Hearing Voices specials are supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people, and by the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. Mix engineer is Robin Wise of soundimagery.com. Executive producer is Barrett Golding. You just heard the first part of Crossing Borders from Hearing Voices. Tune in on Monday, May 1st at 3 o'clock when we bring you the second part of this special on Cover to Cover. We'll also be bringing you special reports on the hour on the nationwide mobilizations taking place. If you have any questions or comments about what you hear, you could reach us at 510-848-6767, extension 212. With Erica Bridgman and Nick Alexander at the controls, I'm Amelia Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. ago, Counterpulse Arts and Performance Space opened its doors and we've had an incredible first year supporting emerging artists and activists. Sunday, April 30th, you are invited to celebrate our first anniversary May Day party featuring felonious One Love Hip Hop, Harlem Shake Burlesque, No Origin, Samsara, Eat Cake, Aerialist Emily Leap, and DJ Likewise. Counterpulse first anniversary celebration, Sunday, April 30th, 1310 Mission Street at night. 8 p.m. show with dancing until midnight. $10 to $20 sliding scale.